Welcome to another inspirational podcast at Real Life Church. For more great content and updates, visit reallifechurchkc.com. To Pastor Tim Holman. How's everybody doing? Good. Good. Man, what you guys don't know about this stage is there's a trap door. And uh, it, based upon how I'm doing, there's a red button. I don't know if anybody's got the clicker. I could just disappear like it never happened, okay? Hey, uh, listen, uh, I say this without flattery that Barry was like the host with the most today and uh, really showed me around and, and uh, told me the whole story, what's going on. And I, I've known a little bit what's going on, but. First off, I just want to say thanks to Pastor Sean and Diane, you guys. Can we just give them a hand real quick? I know that the investment that goes into this, uh, of course, is not just a lot of work, but there's an emotional toll as well, and you guys are just putting it all out there, and thank you for that. And I know that they love you. And thanks for the opportunity today. So, uh, hey, I've got uh, a message from God's Word, and I know that if you're just willing to listen for 25 minutes that God wants to change some lives today. Do you believe that? How many of you want that life to be your own, right? Can I just see your hand? Well, that's what the Word of God does. When we read the Word of God, He has something set aside for us, and it's not just the words that are said. It's the Holy Spirit's involvement in it that will show you in this moment exactly what He has prepared for you for such a time as this. There's a different expression of God in His presence that He wants to reveal to you right now that has been foreign to your experience up until this very moment. It's a living letter. And uh, I'd love to invite you to Acts chapter chapter 8. Acts chapter 8, we're going to read verses 29 to 40. And this is a really interesting story about one of the three major stories of conversion in the book of Acts. If you remember, the, the three major stories is this one. We're reading about Philip and the Ethiopian. There's also Cornelius, and Peter was the evangelist leading Cornelius to Christ and his whole family in one fell swoop, and Saul, Paul, and Ananias was the evangelist. We're going to look at this major story, but before I get into that, can we have a word of prayer? All right, Father in heaven, we just are in awe of you, and we love you. We sing in our hearts with the song that was just saying, God, you're so good, and you are Lord, you're so good and beyond anything we can ever think or imagine. And we just think of what you prepared for us in Jesus. Not only the life to come, but the life right now that we have in Christ. And Lord, along the way as we collect our bumps and bruises from just living, being broken on the wheels of living. God, I pray that we would look to you today and find the hope of glory. That Romans 5 says that maketh not ashamed, that silver lining that we see of the hope of the glory to come. Lord, we just think about you and we love you. We pray, Lord, you just speak to us today and then speak through us as a result of changing our lives because of your direct involvement, Lord. We love you. I pray if there's someone here today, Lord, that they're, they have a loss of hope, that they made it right here in the chair where they're sitting under the sound of this teaching, under the sound of your influential voice today, Lord. Not my words, but yours. Lord, I pray that there's someone here today that is an answer to a 10 to 20 year prayer. Lord, that you would do something in their heart that you never thought possible, that they never thought possible that could happen. 
Lord, would you just do a work in our hearts, not just individually, but collectively as well. And we'll give you all the praise and all the honor and the glory. And God's people said, amen. Amen. So uh, you're right, Barry, I did church planning for a few years. And now that I've seen you guys do it with excellence, I know I didn't make it. But uh, I just walk in here, I'm kind of blown away at the investment you guys have made into this church and into the city of Raymore and Belton. And I just expect God to continue to see good things done through you guys. And that's not flattery. I really mean every word of that. But uh, my wife and I, we did church planning for seven years in Ohio. We had, we had one church that didn't make it and one that did. Uh, but the one that did, we were about a month in. We had moved from Pittsburgh to uh, Cleveland and we were about an hour south of Cleveland doing a church plant in a high school just like this. And right in the first month, Sean, you know how it goes. You're kind of doing everything, right? And uh, printing the bulletins and just make, making the coffee and all that. So I was one month in getting the bulletins printed the night before because that's just how I rolled, kind of just waiting until the last minute. But uh, over at the Office Max, getting about 100 bulletins printed off for the next day. And they were just taking their sweet time. And I had no idea why. And I kept going back out to the car. I had my, uh, my daughter with me. We'd walk in like every 15 minutes, you know, and, and walk back out. And uh, I thought they'd have pity on me because I had like a little three-year-old girl, you know, in tow. That didn't work at all. And uh, so at one time, you know, we were in the car for about an hour. And we were playing together, watching, you know, Barbie on, on DVD and everything. And I had like, um, you know, I, she had me dressed up and everything. And, you know, we were about, I, waiting for about an hour and a half, finally just marched back in there. And I just came back to the counter. I was like, listen, I've been waiting here for an hour and a half and I really have got to go. I've got to get these bulletins printed and ready for tomorrow. And I'm just pleading my case. And this girl is laughing at me. I'm thinking this is the, like the height of disrespect and I'm getting really flared up and I'm a nice guy by nature. And I was getting really upset and she started laughing out loud at me and she told another guy to come over and look at me. And I'm like, this is unbelievable. I was looking to see if I was on camera and I found out I I had the Barbie scepter in my hand and a Barbie necklace around my neck and a scarf, a pink Barbie scarf. And I was demanding with the scepter, had no clue that I was doing this. But uh, I, I say this to you because my message today is that everybody, every Christian, communicates the gospel, but few of us actually connect, right? We, we have this message inside, this message of transformation that we want to get out from our heart into the hearts of other people that we love and that God loves so desperately and dearly. But there's this disconnect between what's in our heart and what actually comes out into the real world. And I don't know what your Barbie scepter is, you know? I don't know what your Barbie necklace is or what's kind of keeping you at a distance, keeping your message from being taken seriously. But I want to be able to help maybe identify that today of what is standing between you and the message of transformation that God has given you from transforming your own life. Has God transformed your life? Can you give a solid testimony of that, that I am different now today than I was before I met Jesus? Well, what I want to be able to help you to do is this, is to discover what it is that's standing in between you and your best message of transformation from your life to someone else's. But there's another person in this story too. We've got the evangelist, Philip, the one that has the story of transformation. And we have the Ethiopian that is the person that is being transformed. 
And I don't know who you are today. You might be the one with the incredible story transformation. God has done something incredible in your life. And you try to tell it, but you just haven't been able to remove all these distractions. You haven't been able to connect with a real uh, compelling story of the real living, breathing Jesus moving around in your life into someone else's. But maybe the person that just has yet to be transformed. And I've got some encouraging news for you today. That there's something here today for both of you. We've got three major people here in this story. We have the evangelist, we have the evangelized, the person with the transformed story, and then the person receiving the transformation, and we also have the transformer, who is Jesus himself. And we're looking at Acts chapter 8. I want to start reading verse 29. We're going to read through to the end of the chapter. It says this, Now an angel of the Lord said unto Philip, Go south. To the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of Candace, queen of Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home was sitting in his chariot, reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. And the Spirit told Philip, Go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet, and he said, Do you understand what you're reading? Philip asked. How can I? He said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and to sit with him. Now, just some uh, unique details here about this Ethiopian is uh, we see here that he has a, um, a very nice job. He's actually got a job in what's called uh, the Queen's Cabinet. And her name is not Candace. That's just her official title. But in Ethiopia, which is modern day Sudan is where this is, where it's speaking of, the King of Ethiopia was looked upon as a high and divine personality. So high that he was looked upon like a god. And so all matters of business and judgment and finance all went down to the Queen And then, of course, you would hire out a cabinet, much like our uh, modern-day elected officials do, where we'll hire out, you know, secretaries of education, secretary of defense, uh, secretary of whatever it is. But she would hire out these different positions, but we also see here that he is a eunuch. Now, there's, this is an interesting facet to the story, and I'm not just bringing this out as some strange, unique detail as a, as a shocker, but um, there, if there are some children here today, you might have to ask mom and dad about this later, but a eunuch is someone that has been castrated, so a male that has, had, uh, has been surgically transferred from uh, being able to propagate till no longer being able to propagate. He's had his life, his prosperity posterity removed from the earth. No longer able to have kids. And the reason why this is, is in order to get this sweet job of working in the queen's cabinet, he had to agree to castration because we can tell that he wouldn't have had to do this if he was part of the monarchy. If he were part of the family, he was blood. There was no reason why he would have had to gone through such procedures. But because he wasn't family, he could get the right job but so as not to dilute influence, power, or bloodline, a male wanting to serve in the queen's cabinet had to agree to the extreme case of castration. And now we see in, there's, in just like seven verses, there's so many things that are going on here. He has found his way to Jerusalem to worship. And there's so much going on in this story here. 
And he's made it out somehow with a handwritten copy of Isaiah. And he's, reading, he's riding in his chariot back to Ethiopia. And it says here, some translations actually say that he's reading this aloud. And we find out up until about 500 AD that when people read, people read aloud. So he's sitting in his chariot, he's reading this passage of scripture, has no idea what he's reading, and then someone comes along with supernatural swiftness and asks him in the chariot, do you understand what you're reading? And this guy's like, how can I, unless I have a teacher, unless I have someone come up and explain it to me. So the chariot pulls over, Philip gets in, and he explains to this Ethiopian what he's reading. Now, have you ever had God speak specifically explicitly into your life where you knew it was his voice in that moment. Have you ever had that happen? Where it, you, it was maybe been something from God's word, maybe been in a conversation or just God impressing something on, upon your heart that you knew in that moment it was eerie and he was speaking to you. Well, this is exactly what's going on with the Ethiopian right now. Look at uh, verse 32. The eunuch was reading the passage of scripture he was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak for his descendants? For his life was removed from the earth. And then the eunuch asked Philip, he's kind of freaking out at this moment, tell me, please, who is this prophet talking about, himself or someone else? And then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. Now, the reason I ask you, has, you have, has it ever happened to you that God spoke so specifically in your life that you knew it was God's voice and it was almost audible? In this story here, we have to ask ourselves a question. The eunuch is saying this, who's he talking about? Himself or someone else? Because this sounds a lot like who? sounds like Jesus for one, right? He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before his shears did not open his mouth, his justice was removed. Who shall speak for his generation for his life was removed from the earth? Yeah, this is talking about Jesus. He's reading in the book of Isaiah chapter 41 in the suffering servant Psalms, 700 years down the road, he's speaking of when Jesus will actually be led as a lamb to the slaughter and to be crucified for your life and for mine. But he's also speaking about the eunuch. And I don't know if this has ever happened to you, but he's speaking into the most intimate wound of his life. Jesus is saying, I was led like a lamb to the slaughter, but so were you. Because you wanted that sweet job and you had to go to extreme physical conditions to get it, you were led like a lamb to the slaughter. And you didn't open your mouth, but someone removed your posterity from the earth and your judgment in one fell swoop. And Jesus says, I get you. And I wonder today if you and I can identify with the eunuch, with this Ethiopian that sold out to that one thing that you thought was going to pay off in a major way. And it has not yet come through. You gave more than you should have. You invested more than you should have for this one thing that you thought was going to pan out. 
And then what Jesus does is he comes in after all the pieces are laying all over the floor. And he starts picking them back up. And he says, I get you. I get it. You gave it all. But unfortunately, it was for something that won't matter in eternity. And, I, and Jesus is saying, and I want to show you how I can pick up all these pieces and not waste one piece of shattered glass and put it back together for something that is God-glorifying and give you a story of transformation that you never thought possible. That's what Jesus does. He speaks into the most intimate wounds of our life. And he wants to show us how good he is to us. Let's read the rest of the story here. Verse 36, as they traveled along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, look, here's water. Why shouldn't I be baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and Philip baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away. And the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. That's a very important thing to understand there. He went on his way rejoicing. We'll come back to that. Philip, however, appeared at Azostus and traveled about preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. So we've got a really unique story here in the danger of looking at all the unique and almost strange details of this story. Uh, has us maybe going something like this. Like, that's a great story, but because of all the uniqueness, it has nothing to do with my life. And I beg to differ. I think it's got everything to do with your life and with mine. Because the eunuch experienced something very similar to what you and I experience in our coming to saving faith in meeting the real, living, breathing Jesus. We experienced the same things the eunuch did. And if you're taking notes, I want you to write four things down. And if it helps, uh, if you don't want to take notes, I can share these notes with you. If you want to just follow along without taking notes, if it helps you follow along better, I can share these with you when I'm done. And I don't know if they're recording it, but just listen to it again. But however you want to do this, there's four things that the eunuch experienced that you and I do as well. Number one was this, alienated from our creator, we seek meaning and identity in created things. I'll say it again alienated from our creator because of sin, we seek, you and I seek, meaning and identity in created things. It's like Romans chapter one says is that they disregarded the creator and instead worshiped and served created things. We do this. We want to find meaning and identity to close up what Soren Kierkegaard called that vacuum in the human heart, right? That nothing can fill except the power and the presence of the resurrected Christ. But before that, in our uneducated sense, that we're going to try to find meaning and identity and worth in something that is created by God instead of God himself. Now, what did the eunuch try to find his meaning and identity in? Just you tell me, talk back to me. What did he find meaning and identity in? His work, something else. His status, absolutely. One more. His wealth, right? So this one job held more than just status for him. It held the promise of wealth. It had power and, of course, status. But he tried to find his meaning and identity in this because he could not, because of, as a result of sin, 
couldn't find his meaning and identity in God. He's completely spiritually blind, just like you and I before we meet Christ. And number two is this, in our inevitable disappointment, God stirs our hearts to seek him. There's going to come a point when the thing that you've tried to find your meaning and identity, and I don't know what that is for you today. It could be your job. You might find your meaning and identity in the thing that you do, and you might do that job exceptionally well to where you are now looked upon as an expert in your field, where maybe you've gone up a few levels to where you're at about the top of your level. In, in your game or on your playing field. I don't know, I don't know what that may be for you. Uh, for, for some others, it might be a relationship to where you've actually achieved relationship status, right? To where you, you, you are now not just with somebody, but this relationship gives you your meaning and identity that I'm less before I got into this relationship, that I'm not anything until I got to meet this person and now I have this meaning and identity, this worth in my life. Maybe it's the money in your bank account. If that went away immediately and drastically, if that got taken out of your life, the question would be, would your personal worth, not your dollar signs, not your net worth, but I'm talking about your substance, would you yourself in your own eyes and in the estimations of other people, would your worth and meaning identity go down because your fortune went away. I don't know what it is. But there comes a point just like the eunuch when we find out that we're going to be disappointed with that thing that we thought would be the answer to everything. In our inevitable disappointment, that's when God starts to stir our hearts to seek after him. The third one is this. We start to resonate with certain biblical truths, but we remain confused on how to really connect with God. We start to resonate, all right? We start to understand, kind of like the Philip driving away in the handwritten copy of the book of Isaiah, that not anybody could just go to a Mardell, you know, or a Lifeway Christian bookstore and find a copy of Isaiah. These were handwritten copies on papyrus, and they would have, been, they would have cost a fortune to walk away with one book, one major prophet, and he walked out with a copy of Isaiah, and he's reading aloud. So he starts to resonate, but he's confused, and that's when he asks Philip, who's this guy talking about, himself or someone else? And the last one is this, is that's when Jesus sends one of his followers to explain to us how he reconciles us to God. At that moment, in your deepest and most weary confusion, that's when God sends you a Philip to show you how you can be reconciled to God. And I bet there's a few of you here today that could say the same thing about this church. That it was at the right time in your life when stuff was falling apart and God somehow sent Pastor Sean and the leadership into your life at the right time to show you how he reconciles you to God. Praise God for that. Praise God for those divine moments when God knows we're right there and we're, we're remaining confused. We're starting to connect, but we just need that human connection. And God has done that. I love what the Christian writer Dallas Willard says in his book, Divine Conspiracy. He says, you and I are a result of who we are in Christ. I'll say this twice. You and I are a result of who we are in Jesus as a result of a series of someones. Does that make sense? There's not just one person. 
that comes along and gives us, quote, the gospel. There's a bunch of different gospel presenters because a lot of Christians communicate the gospel, but few of us know how to connect. Amen? Most of us are communicating the gospel whether we know it or not. If your, sto- if your story has been transformed by Jesus himself, you are a walking testimony of the goodness and greatness of God, but your message might be getting distorted by something in your life. But we all have those series of someones. And you and I are going to get to glory someday. We're going to find out it wasn't just one person that shared the gospel with us. God used maybe a dozen to a couple dozen people to bring us to the point where we, we knew and reckoned our need for salvation. It's not just one person. It's a series of someones. And I don't know what that thing that you've tried to find your meaning and identity in, but maybe even this morning you're thinking, you know what? Okay, God, I'm finally putting the pieces together as a result of this story. That I believe the eunuch shows us something that we all go through. Try to find meaning, identity, and something. Doesn't pan out. We're inevitably disappointed. So that's when we know God's stirring our heart to seek after something else. And then we start to resonate, but we're still confused. And then God sends a Sean Petrie into your life. Of how you can know for certain that you have a relationship with God. That's how he does it. But maybe you're not the Ethiopian today. Maybe you're Philip. Maybe you're thinking, man, I'm so thankful that God has transformed my life. And you could think of 20 years ago or 30 years ago or just five years ago where you're thinking, I know that I know that I know that the real living, breathing Jesus is moving around in my heart because I'm somebody different than I used to be. But I still don't know how to get along with these people that God wants to take this story of transformation from my life into theirs. When I was doing church planting assessment center, this would have been back in 2007, my wife and I went to this uh, conference in Green Lake, Wisconsin, beautiful place, right in the middle of fall, one of those beautiful things I can remember. And we sat for three days and these assessors would sit back and they wouldn't talk to us but they would watch us interact with other church planners. It was a very intimidating process. And I remember having to lead one of our assessors to Christ in like a mock, you know, we have to lead this guy, Ernie. He's been a, a senior pastor for 25 years on the East Coast, about four foot five, uh, Asian American guy, awesome man of God. And uh, he had like two teeth. That's all I remember about Ernie. But we, me and this guy, Drew, a missionary, was gonna, from Detroit, had to lead this guy, Ernie, to Christ. And I was shocked at how many church planners couldn't lead someone through a good understanding of the gospel. And I struggled. I grew up in church, but I struggled leading this guy to Christ. And, but Drew was off the charts. I mean, he, he was an evangelist in all caps. And he led this guy, Ernie, to Christ. And he said something at the end of it after Ernie prayed to receive Christ. He said, Ernie, do you have a Bible? And Ernie said, no. He's like, well, I want to give you my Bible And what I want you to do is in the next 48 hours, I want you to go just tell someone what you did today. That's it. Just don't try to say everything I did. I just want you to tell them that you met Jesus in the next 48 hours. And he said something I'll never forget. Because the gospel came to you on its way to somebody else. And I'll say the same thing to you and I. That the gospel didn't come to you to stay with you The gospel came to you to go through you on its way to somebody else. And I want to give you three very easy things of how you can actually 
tell the story of transformation in your own words, in your own story. Number one is this, jog alongside somebody else's chariot. This is one of the most brilliant things you and I can do to share the story of transformation that's already going on in your life. Is just tell, jog alongside this, their, their chariot. And what does that look like? You've got coworkers that you're just kind of jogging alongside and you're just waiting. You're waiting for that golden moment. I love, Barry, what you said. You have a, was it a no stalking policy? Right? I love that. So jogging alongside someone's chariot is not stalking. Okay? Don't be creepy. But it's just getting in someone's life and you're just investing in them. You're being really a friend and someone that they can trust, someone that they can count on. And when something goes down in their life, or when God gives you that no-brainer moment that this is it, tell them your story. The story of how I transformed you. You will be amazed at what God will do through your brokenness. But just jog alongside their chariot and wait for that golden moment. Number two is this is accept the pending invitation into their chariot. Basically, you might never get the invite, right? This gospel presentation may never get a hearing because this person's not ready to hear it. I'll tell you a couple things. The gospel never shows up at the wrong address. You give the gospel, and it meant to be shared at that moment, no matter what that person's response is. The gospel is an interruption. And don't worship comfort like I did for years and talk yourself out of a host of conversations that could have ended up in someone's salvation. But I chickened out, so don't be like me. But accept the pending invitation into their life. And you got to wait for the invite. If you don't have permission to speak in that person's life, just wait. The Lord will open the door when it's time. But you just make sure you're there. You're jog alongside. And when they pull over and say, man, I don't understand what I'm reading. Can you get in here and help me understand this? That's when you do it. But here's the deal. In order to be ready, you have, you have to get ready. I love what Pastor Rick Warren out in Saddleback Church in Orange County, California says. You get ready, God will wear you out. Get ready to tell your story of transformation. God will absolutely wear you out. The last one is this. When you're inside the chariot, when, you're, when you're in their life at that point, tell them the transforming story of how Jesus changed you. And uh, there might be some of you here today that are thinking, you know, I don't have that story yet. And if we could just, we're going to close out now. If you could, just for a minute, let me speak to your heart. If you would just bow your heads just in a moment. Can I just speak to your heart just for a minute? I'm going to have the, the musicians come back up at this time. Let me just speak to your heart for a minute. I firmly believe that if you have not yet been transformed by Jesus, you cannot lead anyone to be transformed. You have to have a heart transformation in order to help other people to be transformed. And some of you might be thinking, you know, I don't have that yet. Like, I believe in God. I believe in Jesus. I know that he saved me from my sin. And that's about it. You realize this, that that story alone is spectacular. That is a story of transformation. If you've come to that realization right there, that is all you need. But maybe some of you here today, you've accepted 
Christ in his offer of wholesale forgiveness by way of his shed blood, but you're still addicted to porn. You're thinking, I, I can't, I'm a hypocrite. I can't tell anybody because I'm still, I'm still addicted to porn and lust. I don't know if that's your story. But statistics show that about 70% of men in the church look at porn once or twice a month and about 40% of them are hooked or it's a daily habit. So if your church is anything like mine, those statistics hold true. It's not just a man thing, and I'm not here to talk about porn today. It happens to be my story. I was addicted to porn for about 15 years and um, didn't get fully consecrated until about a year ago. For the first time in my adult life, I can finally say that God has completely transformed me away from that life. This one's not about me. This one's about us today. I don't know what's standing in the way where you've tried to find your meaning and identity. Maybe it's a relationship that didn't pan out. Maybe you've laid yourself down on the altar of employment. But whatever that thing is that you bow down to daily, it's not cutting out. Jesus is trying to tell you this morning that if I can do it through the Ethiopian, I can do it through anybody. And I'm here to tell you today, guys, if he can do it through me, he can do it through anybody. I never thought I'd live free. And I never really had a spectacular story until after it. But don't do like I did. Don't waste two decades of your life without having anything to show for it. God wants to deal with you right now. Now, all he wants you to do is this. Understand the fundamentals of the gospel message is this. If you're the Ethiopian here today, you're thinking, I've tried to find meaning and identity, but I'm, I'm so sorely outside of it. He wants you to realize this, that you and I were created for a relationship with Jesus, with God. But because of sin, you and I have forfeited that right to be in his presence. God is holy. His judgment is blameless, and he will by no means clear the guilty. When people say only good people go to heaven, they're absolutely right. But God doesn't demand good people. He demands righteous people. And the only way you and I could ever be righteous is to have righteousness given to us. It's free of charge. If 2 Corinthians 5.21 sums it all up for us. And God made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us so that we may become the righteousness of God in him. And I'm here to tell you today, if you've tried to find meaning and identity in something else and you've really never had that moment of transformation with Jesus, the Bible says it's as simple as this. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says this, that if you have believed in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead and have confessed with the mouth Jesus is Lord, then you will be saved. And I'm here today to tell you that, that this is where life starts for you. That if you've got nothing else but to say, I want Jesus for the first time in my life, I get it. I want his wholesale forgiveness that he offers. He shed his blood on the cross for me. He wiped out the penalty. 
God's wrath no longer stands against sinful humanity unless they choose it to be so. But as for right now, I am under God's divine judgment. But I get it. And I want to be changed. I want to be transformed. Pray this with me today. Father in heaven, Lord, we just thank you so much for all that you've offered us in Jesus. And today we accept wholesale your forgiveness that you've offered us by way of your shed blood. We believe in you, Lord. We follow you. We repent of our old life and we want a new story of transformation. But God, as well, we also pray for the aspiring evangelists in here today that have really never been able to connect the gospel to real people. And I pray, Lord, today that they would be brought to life by the simple fact of just running alongside someone's chariot and getting ready to tell the same story of transformation that has happened in their own lives. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand and sing with us?